This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. If you were following any of the, the posts on the, in the church um, Facebook uh, group yesterday, yesterday afternoon, as I think Ben shared an encouragement on there, and I realised that um, he was basically preaching half my sermon from this morning. So uh, we'll take that as being the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then actually Paul Nicholas chimed in as well and reminded everyone, and if you didn't see it, I'm reminding you now, that this was something he'd shared with me a few weeks ago. So now, now Paul is kind of basically saying I stole his sermon as well. So, um, but as we know, there is no copyright on Revelation. And uh, the proof text for that is uh, Deuteronomy 29.29. 29 which says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that the Lord revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So if, you've, if something has been revealed to you, it becomes yours. So never, never worry about stealing other people's sermons and revelation. If it's of God, it's not theirs for you to steal it from anyway. If God's revealed it, he's saying, that's it, it's open source now. Um, you guys, go, you go for it. Okay, so we're going to look... Uh, we're going to look in three passages of Scripture, and um, uh, so I'll give you the references now, and then you maybe can stick a finger in each page, uh, or open a different tab for each one if, if you're kind of that way inclined. Um, so the first one is Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. The second one is Luke 5, verse 1 to 11. And the final one is John 21, verses 1 to 14. Okay, so Matthew chapter 4, first of all. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. It says, While he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Mark has an almost identical account of that in Mark chapter 1. It's so identical, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you that that happens at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark as well. And then in Luke... Chapter 5, we find what probably is the same uh, event, probably, but Luke gives us quite a lot more detail. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd were pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night but took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they had filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. 
Um, and, uh, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, from a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay. So uh, two, uh, two uh, accounts of something that happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he calls disciples. So it seems that Luke is perhaps giving us an expanded version. Matthew and Mark give us a, a kind of a condensed version. Um, and we, we're familiar with these, with these stories, aren't we? But then John, as we know, John likes to do, different, different, do things differently. Uh, the Gospel of John is different. The other three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Anyone know what Synoptic means? You, you can, seeing the same, yes. Yeah, so from or seeing together. So sin as in synthesis, uh, and optic as in seeing. So they, they they kind of follow the same kind of narrative. But John has a very different structure and a very different way of laying out uh, the the stories. And In John's Gospel, we don't hear about this time where Jesus calls the disciples, and we don't hear about this miraculous catch of fish at the beginning of his ministry, but what we do hear is something that happens right at the end. In fact, the very last thing that John records for us is another catch, uh, a miraculous catch of fish that happens after the resurrection. So we're going to look there now in John 21. In fact, I'm going to begin reading from verse 30 of John chapter 20. So John chapter 20 is all about Jesus' resurrection and how he appears to different uh, uh, people. He appears first to, the, to uh, Mary at the tomb. He appears to, to some of the disciples. Um, and uh, then he appears another time when Thomas, who had missed it the first time, is there. And now there's going to be another occurrence. But John 20 finishes like this in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is actually the same as the Lake Gennesaret, which is also... Uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's all the same place. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And so they said, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. But when they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fireplace with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so uh, one event that happens right at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry, another one which is one of the final things that happens before he ascends into the heavens. And both marked by a miraculous catch of fish. And this, these two miraculous catches seem to frame Jesus' interactions with his disciples. Um, in fact, that second miraculous catch kind of ties together the narratives that we find from Luke and from Matthew and Mark because you get both this idea that there was a miraculous catch which Luke tells us about, but you also get this, uh, this idea that, that it's in, in doing this that they recognize the lordship of Jesus. And then if we go on, if we'd read a bit further, we get the interactions that Jesus has with Peter and with John. And, Pe- and, and Jesus' final uh, commands to, to Peter is, follow me, which was, the, which was the, the first call that he gave to them back at the beginning as well. So, so you kind of think, well, God is doing something. The Holy Spirit is doing something in, in, in these activities and in the way that they've been preserved for us. Um, you, you find the similarities is that Jesus is calling them from, out from their everyday work. Peter, if you like, and the others had reverted to type. They were, they were fishermen. We don't know. We can speculate. We don't really know this, their state of mind at this point. They'd met the risen Christ. But it seems they weren't still entirely certain what was going on. Well, that shouldn't surprise us when we read the narrative through to the book of Acts. But they're, 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 they, you know, it seems maybe they're a little aimless, maybe they're a little listless, and Peter's like, well, I don't know what else is happening, but I tell you what, why don't we, uh, why don't we, go, and, why don't we go and do a bit of fishing? We know how to do that. Uh, we are fishermen, let's go and fish. And of course they go and fish and, and nothing happens because, well, I, I understand. One of the reasons I've, I've rarely been fishing is, is that on the very few occasions I've ever been, I've never caught a single fish. Uh, and I know people that are into fishing, and that seems quite a common thing, which kind of seems a little strange to me. But this, these guys, they went out, they went, they went fishing. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus, he calls them out of what their everyday work was, but he also works the miracle within that context of what they do every day. And I think that's really interesting. I'm, I've, I've been reading this passage through, and, and you know, it strikes me there's a, lot of, there's a lot of strange things going on. There's a lot of unusual things. And I've just been asking the Holy Spirit, show me some of the things that you, that you want to, to bring to us out of this. And one of them is this, that, that he'll call, when he calls you, he calls you out, but he often wants to continue to work in what you're doing. Okay, God wants to perform. Jesus wants to work miracles. One of the things the disciples are doing here, did you notice at the beginning, at the end of John chapter 20, it says, these signs were so that you might believe. And then we get chapter 21. Well, what's chapter 21 for then? It's not to convince them of who Jesus is. He's already done that. But I think it must be something to do with, he wants to show them what life is going to be like now. He wants to show them um, 
uh, how he's going to be working with them from now on. You see, John 20 seems like a good place to end the book. If that last little bit that we read at the end of John chapter 20 had been the end of the book of John, the Gospel of John, you'd think, yeah, that makes, that makes great sense. That's, you know, um, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in these books, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You think that's a great way to end a book, that'd be a great way to end a sermon. And then we get, uh, after this... So it's almost like a postscript, isn't it, this chapter 21? Because chapter 20, you begin with the witnesses of the resurrection. You get the commission that Jesus says, as the Father is sending me, I'm sending you. And then it says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You think that's, that's where all the action is in chapter 20. And it's interesting, they've received the Holy Spirit, but this certainly isn't Acts chapter 22. They haven't experienced Pentecost. What's going on there? Well, Jesus has come to them and he said, look, because I've been raised from the dead now, I can impart the newness of life that God intended. It's, you know, you know, back in the garden, there was a tree of life, wasn't there? And God kicked Adam and Eve out so they didn't eat of the tree and live forever. Eternal life. And how was that brought back into the world? Through Jesus' death and resurrection. So after his resurrection, he can come and say, I'm going to breathe on you just like God breathed into Adam. And you're going to become a new creature. You're going to be born again. But just because they were born again, it doesn't seem that they understood everything that was going on. In fact, you get that in Acts 1 and Acts 2. In Acts 1, they seem confused. In Acts 2, suddenly they know everything that's happening. Peter can go, you know, in chapter 1, they go, So, Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus doesn't answer that question because it's the wrong question. And in chapter 2, suddenly, this is what the the prophet Joel was talking about. Now we understand things. What had happened? They'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 20, they'd been born again. In Acts chapter 2, they'd been baptized in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working in different ways. They'd experienced the, the Spirit's power to cause regeneration, new birth, but not yet experienced the empowerment to be witnesses. Which is why when they were left to their own devices, they just got on with life as they knew it. Well, let's go and catch some fish. What was Jesus' promise to them at the beginning? You were, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I think one of the things is they hadn't realized, but actually he had done that. When he called them and he had them walk with him for three and a half years. And all the way through they were learning, they were learning, they were learning. And he'd, he'd finished that task, but there was still one ingredient missing, and that was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was going to come at Pentecost. So if John chapter 21 isn't a sign written that we might believe, as when we're reading it, why is it there? Well, I believe it's written that we might understand Jesus says, one of the parables he tells in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of God is like a net. It's like a dragnet that is thrown into the ocean and all the fish are brought out and then the fishermen will sort the good from the bad. And here the disciples and us are going to learn something about how the kingdom of God works in the light of Jesus' resurrection. Have you ever wondered at how it is that the disciples often in the post-resurrection stories don't immediately recognize Jesus. Have you, ever, have you noticed that? 
There's the two on the road to Emmaus. And, and, and there's this, this account here. That it's like they didn't recognize. Well, we can cut them some slack here because first of all, we're told it was night and it was just becoming day and he was on the beach and it was 100 yards away. Okay? So I think in the, in the kind of twilight, at a distance of 100 yards, we can forgive them for not recognizing Jesus. Although the interesting thing is this. When he said to them, throw your net, they did it. Isn't that interesting? I think this tells us something about what it means to be born again. It means that we might not see clearly, we might not be convinced, but actually when we hear God's voice, something inside us says amen. Something inside says, yeah, that's the right thing to do. You know, and, and the whole picture here is, 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 a, is a metaphor for the rest of their ministry and the rest of our ministry, which is to go and to, and to bring people into the kingdom of God, to go and preach the gospel and bring them to Jesus. The whole thing's a picture of that. And, and we've been talking about that. We've been talking about reaching out. And, and the, you know what God is saying? He says, look, you don't always have to understand. You don't always have to see clearly, but you're going to hear my voice. And when you hear my voice, just do what I say. It'll be really simple. Just, just, just do what I say. Mary learned that, didn't she? Says to the, to the waiters at the wedding at Cana, whatever he says to you, do it. They didn't know who he was. They couldn't see. He was just this other guy. He was this kind of like young rabbi that was getting a bit of a, a reputation maybe. But, but she says, no, just whatever he says, do it. And they, they, they employ the same thing here. They, I, why did they do that? Why did, there must have been some, at some level... And I like this because sometimes I'm a bit slow up here. Okay, sometimes, you know, I, I, my, my thinking doesn't catch up. But there's a communication that goes on when Jesus speaks that doesn't go first to your mind. It goes to your spirit. And when he says to them, throw your nets again on the other side, throw it on the right-hand side, there was an immediate response. The other reason I suspect they may not have recognized him wasn't just the distance, but is that he addressed them in a way that he'd never addressed them before. What does he call them? Remember? Children. He calls them children. If you look through the Gospels, this is the only time that Jesus calls his disciples children. Isn't that interesting? One of the things I think we can draw from that is that actually his relationship with them has changed because of the resurrection. Um, it, he's, not, he's not kind of patronizing them. He's not kind of telling them off. And he's not, he's not oh, children. It's a, it's a, it's in the Greek language, it's a term of endearment. Um, and would have, would, have, would have been used by an older person to younger people. So it wasn't even, the fact that they were adults wasn't an insult to them. Uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a bit like being called son by a Yorkshireman. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it was, it, but it was, it was an unfamiliar word for them to hear coming from Jesus. But one of the things is it's, it, it's reaffirming something about the new identity they have as those who've received the Holy Spirit. Yeah? You've received the Holy Spirit. I think, I think it was on Ben's list of songs to sing this morning, but we didn't get there. The song that um, uh, has the line, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. They'd come into this new... What does the scripture say? When the Holy Spirit comes within us, he causes us to cry, Abba, Father. And Jesus, I think, is emphasizing to them, look, you've got this new relationship now because of, because of the resurrection, because I've been risen, raised from the dead. 
They've been born again. They've received the Holy Spirit. John 20, let's read that verse. John 20, 22. And when he said this, or verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. In John 3, verse 3, this is the promise or the statement that Jesus makes. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter's telling us, you can't be born again, no one can be born again until Jesus is raised. And Jesus is now, he's been raised, he breathes on them, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that the natural inclination of of the one that receives the Spirit is to cry, Abba, Father, because the Holy Spirit comes and he says, look, there's a depth of relationship you have now with God that you didn't have before. Even for the disciples that have walked with Jesus, but particularly for those of us who didn't know him at all until this point. Abba, Father, you've come into the family. And in John 20, when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, he wants you to know this. You're being sent as a son. You're being sent as a daughter. You're not being sent as a servant. You're not being sent as a, as, a, as a kind of an afterthought. You're not being sent as just a generic worker. You are being sent as a son, as a daughter. You are being sent into this world by a father in the same way that he sent his son. And he's leading the disciples into this realization that you have a new relationship with the father. And that's how I'm going to deal with you now. Children, it's interesting because for the, for the Apostle John in his later writings, this becomes a, a, an, an important term. In 1 John 3 verse 12, he says to this, I write to you children. Why? Because you know the Father. And you know, in our going, in our casting the net, in our wanting to bring people to Jesus, we go from a place of intimacy with our Father. We go as those who are dearly loved. We go as those who've been drawn into the family. We, we go as those who've received the Holy Spirit. We go as those who know God. You know the Father. You see, mission flows from relationship. God does not want us working from a place of fear. He doesn't want us working from even a place of obligation. He doesn't want us working from a place of thinking, well, I kind of owe it to God to go out and do a bit of evangelism. No, he he wants you to, to know that because you're so deeply loved by the Father, because you're a child, because you're someone that he has invested himself in, because you're someone that that he loves and has drawn you into a relationship with him. From that place of intimacy, he says, I want you to to go. But actually, 
The go is also a follow. Follow me, because I'm going. That's where I'm going. And you know, sometimes we can be fearful around the idea of evangelism, can't we? We can be fearful around the idea of, 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 of sharing the gospel with people. We can be fearful about the idea of going and talking to someone that we don't know. We can be fearful of going to talk to someone we do know. I believe a large part of the antidote to that fear is intimacy with the Father. To catch his heart. To know that Jesus says, children, those that belong to the same Father. We've been born again to a living hope by the resurrection, says Peter. Okay, I want to give you just a few kind of takeaway ideas or points from this. Most of them I've, I've said already. And the first one is, what I've, is the point I've just been making. Mission flows from relationship. Okay? Mission flows from relationship. The mission that you've been called to, the great commission that Jesus has given us, our calling, just like the disciples heard when back in those early days when they were there mending their nets and they heard this call, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The first thing Jesus did is he just spent three and a half years with them and they did everything that he did. In fact, it says, I think it's in Luke's account of when Jesus calls the 12 disciples. It says he called 12 apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them so that they might be with him and that he might send them. Isn't that interesting? Before he wants to send you anywhere, he wants to be with you. He wants you to spend time with him. The second thing I think we can take from this story is this. Obey his voice even if you are uncertain. Even if you're uncertain, just obey his voice. Don't let your mind go, oh, let's work this out and let's think this. Something in your spirit will say, that's the voice of God. That's the leading of the spirit. And it's interesting here that there's this combination of the voice of Jesus and the actions of the disciples. He says, it's what, what causes the miracle to happen? Is it the voice of Jesus or is it the action of the disciples? Well, I'm not sure you can separate them, can you? That God wants to continue, Jesus wants to work miracles through us, but it's not all him or all us. Remember when we looked in Acts 4, one of the things that summarized about Acts 4 was that the Lord, uh, they pray, Lord, um, continue to do wonders as we stretch out our hands. And God performs, it says that it talked about God performing miracles through the apostles. You think, well, who's doing this? Is it God or is it, is it them? Who works signs and wonders today? Is it, is it God or is it us? And the answer is Yes. That's how God wants to work things. He says, I'm going to speak, you're going to do. And I'm going to be with you in it. Obey his voice. Obey those promptings of the Spirit. And here's the thing, is that he then reveals himself through their obedience. Because it's as what he says comes true, that John goes, it is the Lord. God wants to prove himself, and he wants to reveal himself. Because that's what it says at the beginning of this chapter. He revealed himself through this. He wants to, to, to show more of who he is to us. He wants to make us not just more convinced of who he is, but what he wants to do through us. 
And in this, this, this is, a, 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 if you like, a great training experience for the disciples because Jesus is no longer with them permanently, but neither has he left them permanently. And it's this kind of transition period, all of which only took 10 days, by the way. But they're learning to do the things that Jesus did just by hearing his voice. And, and why? Because that's the dynamic that they're going to experience now for the rest of their lives, for the rest of their ministry. The prompting of the Spirit, the, anoint, the, 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 the anointing of the Spirit, the word of, the word of God coming to them, and their obedience, and seeing what's happening. And he wants to reveal, I believe that God wants to reveal more of Jesus to you through working miracles through you. I believe he wants to reveal more of himself to you by showing you that when we obey, when you obey his, his prompting and his word, that things happen. That, that, that the net is drawn in. And uh, God really isn't that interested in fish. Um, but he's really interested in the lost being brought in. Here's another thing that we can take from this. Despite what we think and our experience, there are plenty of fish in the sea and Jesus knows where they are. It's similar to when he says, lift up your eyes and see the harvest is plentiful. You're saying three more months. You can't see it with your natural eyes. But I'm telling you, the harvest is plentiful. Here he's going, look, you may have been out working in your own strength and doing it your own way and you caught nothing, but I'm telling you, there's plenty of fish in that sea. Just throw the net on the other side. And, and for us to have that, that trust that God knows better than my experience. Yeah? Jesus knows better than your experience. Jesus knows better than, than your whole lifetime of experience. And I suspect, when I read the scripture, that sometimes he deliberately tells us to do something that goes against our natural inclination and our learnt wisdom. Because he wants to show us that his wisdom is greater than our wisdom. And he wants to show us the great reward that we have from living by faith and how actually life lived in obedience to his word is actually so much easier than life trying to be lived in your own strength. How long had they worked trying to catch fish? All night. How long did it take to get 153 when Jesus spoke a word? I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but it seems to me like a few minutes when we read the story, yeah? I mean, who's, who's, that's, that's, some, that's a major life hack there, right there, isn't it? <laughs> Just listen to what he has to say. And the final thing is this. I love the fact, he's, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's just a, a beautiful thing about this. They've caught 153 fish. And he says, bring some fish. And when they get there, they find he's already got some fish. <laughs> he's already got some fish. <laughs> he's already preparing their breakfast. And I think, I, I, love, I love that, because I think one of the things Jesus is saying, like, he says, look, we're in this together. We're doing this together. I don't, know whether, I don't know where he got his fish. I suspect, kind of just to prove a point, he took some money and went and bought them from a fish seller. <laughs> Because he did an awful lot of things that weren't miracles as well. But he's saying, look, I'm in the same game as you guys. I'm in the same. Come and eat. 
Well, it, I mean, that, that's such a central idea as well, isn't it, to the new covenant, to, to come and join him at the table. And he'll feed you. And he says, look, I've got some, but you, what you've got, bring that. Let's add that in. Let's add that into the, to the meal. We've, what I bring and what you bring are both going to come together. And I think he's, he's showing and pointing the way forward to the, the partnership that he's going to have with us. What does he say? I think it's in, 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 the, in the commission he gives them in Mark. And he says, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. What's his promise? In your going, it's not just a going. In your sending, it's not to be sent away. He said, it's a following me. It's going where I am. If we want to be more effective in reaching the lost, let's deepen our relationship with our Father. If we want to be more efficient in the whole way that we live life, but particularly in preaching the gospel, just listen for his voice. If we want to know more of him and his ways, then do what he says, because he'll reveal himself through our obedience. And if your experience is telling you that it's hard and it's difficult and there's no fruit on the tree and there's no grain in the field and there's no fish in the sea, just remember there's plenty of fish in the sea and Jesus knows just where they are. And he's with us in the work. He goes with us and he joins us to his purpose. So I'm sure there's loads more you can bring and dig from uh, that that passage of scripture and I suspect that God will unpack more of it as you spend some time there but those are the things he gave me for us this morning so let's uh, let's just pray together shall we and because we're right now we're kind of at that place again aren't we where we've had an encounter with Jesus and we gather together in his presence and he wants us to leave changed better equipped empowered, full of faith. And so, Father, I ask for each of us this morning, Lord, that yeah, Lord, that even as we've been with you and spent time with you, we've deepened our relationship with you. Lord, that we would live more and more in obedience to your voice. And that as you lead us, Lord, you lead us not just on in your purposes, you don't just lead us on in a task and a mission, but you also lead us to a deeper and deeper place of, of, of knowing you. And Lord, we say, guide us just in that same simple way that you did with the disciples and said, throw the net on the right side. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in such simple and clear ways to cause us to be effective in reaching the lost, in sharing the good news, in bringing people to you, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that this is never something we do by ourselves or in our own strength because you've promised that you're with us. We're joining you in what you're doing and the wonderful mission you have of filling the earth with your glory and of bringing many sons and daughters to glory, and of seeking and saving the lost. And you join us with that mission, Lord, and we say we're willing and and we're longing, Lord, to be joined more and more with that, to be more and more effective. And so, Holy Spirit, we say, empower us afresh 
in our going to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in a world that so desperately needs you. Help us be effective, Lord, for the glory of your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.